Good evening. Uh, in case you couldn't tell, I'm Gina Sharp, and this is Ajahn Tanasanti. <laughs> We're totally delighted that you have arrived here to spend um, the better part of the weekend with us. So we welcome you deeply and wish that this weekend will be one of, that will bear, bear deep fruit for you from your, um, from your practice. I know that you've, even though it's just for a weekend, any time we, we decide to spend time away from our homes, it takes a little bit of planning and um, arrangements and all of that. So, and not only that, but uh, taking time to get here and all of the energy that it takes to get here. So we won't hold you very long tonight, but we'd like to spend a little bit of time with you just talking uh, about the retreat. And I, I know uh, we were listening as Brianne was um, running through all of the, uh, the things that you need to bear in mind. And I know that it's a lot, you know, especially if you're new to IMS. How many of you are new? Hmm. Welcome. So I know that it's, it's a lot to take in in the beginning, but it, what occurred to me as I was listening to Brianne was that um, it's, it's amazing how over the 34 years of people being here, uh, there's the impeccability of how we show up to do our work has uh, deepened more and more, and, and the, um, the ways in which we are together have, uh, have been refined. And so um, certainly I hope that what you understood from that was not so much that you were getting a whole lot of rules thrown at you that you had to, um, you know, be uh, um, too tight about, but that there is a way in which we show up for each other and uh, create a community that we can do this very deep inner work. So before we um, proceed, what I'd like you to do is now that you've gotten really comfortable, is to get up and um, meet your fellow, we call you yogis. All it means is that you're a meditator. So I'd like you to, to um, meet your fellow yogis so that you know who's sitting around you. And instead of thinking of people as just that person or that woman or that man, uh, it's Susan or Paula or Jim or Bryony or, you know, so uh, please uh, feel free to greet whoever is around you and um, even if you'd like to walk around a little bit and just say hello, I'll give you a couple of minutes. to meet you too. Isn't this nice? Uh, I, love having, I love having people do this at the beginning of a retreat. It's, it really, I think it makes a difference. That'd be great. There's a there's a tie maker who's that's Brianne, and so I always switch.
So what we'll do tonight is um, just talk a little bit about uh, the, um, the container that we are establishing. Um, we're coming together for a, a, quite a short while, and then we'll, of course, come apart at the, at the, end, of, uh, at the end of the weekend. But while we're together, uh, I always think about the establishment of a, of a retreat as, as, in a way, especially at IMS, you know, where people have been meditating for 34 years. I feel that we are, we're really in the stream of all of those people who have gone before us, and not just the people who've gone before us at IMS, but the whole 2,500 and some 60 years or so of uh, since the since the Buddha's time, people have been meditating and uh, doing this deep work of seeing what's true, and so we are carried in a way in that current. We are carried in that stream, and so when we come together, we are carried there, but we are also um, establishing our part of the stream. Too, so that we're 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 establishing a monastery while we're here, and um, using the base of those the 34 years in this building of Buddhist meditation, and I'm not quite sure how many years uh, before that it was a Christian. Um, I think it was a, a monastery, and so uh, we have all of that spiritual work that. Uh, that, that, that supports us and is the ground on which we are, um, on which we're sitting and standing and walking and lying down while we're here. And the, the silence that we, uh, that, that Bryony was, was talking about and how to protect it and support it um, is very much an integral part of the practice that we do, as you know. Um, and I like to remember sometimes that um, some of us, when we were younger, may have uh, not had such a friendly uh, relationship with silence, because some of our families, uh, you know, there was the silent treatment, or um, there was or silence was used as a punishment. And so I like to explicitly just mention that the silence that we establish here is a friendly silence. It's a silence that is, um, that's established to support us in really looking deeply into the, the, the mind, the body, and the heart. And that in a way, when we, when we um, refrain from speech, which we will welcome back on, on Sunday, it's not so much um, because we, we uh, demonize speech or we think that there's anything wrong with it, but that we, we understand from all of our practice that the ability to, to, to establish some stillness and some silence in our lives is, is incredibly supportive to the ability to look deeply and to understand the truth of who and what we are. So that the, the silence that we, we ask is not so much um, a way of uh, shutting out, but a way of welcoming in some new information into our, into our lives. And so um, I know for me, when I, when I do this, when I do retreat work, um, the silence really becomes an ally and and a friend, and so I, I hope that for you that will, that will happen too. That you will, um, that it that it will become a, a very deep uh, friendship that you have with silence. And just a few words about um, what may be helpful in the retreat is to establish a kind of uh, slowing down and and uh, patience. Because this is a very rare opportunity. As we know, 
our culture is becoming noisier and noisier and noisier, and we have all kinds of different ways to have uh, sound in our lives. Um, so if we can um, really see for ourselves how, uh, how deeply we can go through the silence, it will, um, it will be of great benefit. There's a, there is a line from Wendell Berry, which I think I have, where he talks about um, hurry. And he says, hurry is beside the point, useless and obstruction. The thing is to be attentively present. To sit and wait is as important as to move. Patience is as valuable as industry. What is to be known is always there. When it reveals itself to you or when you come upon it, it is by chance. The only condition is your being there and being watchful. As you know, he was a, or as you may know, he's a, he was a wonderful naturalist. And so he really learned how to observe uh, nature and our work is to observe our own nature. And so employing patience and seeing if you can slow down, which may be a little bit difficult um, you know, in, in the beginning because we, we have a habit of rushing and, and sort of leaning forward into uh, what's next and what's to come. It's just a way that we've developed, a habit that we've developed in our in our uh, way of life, in our busy lives. And so to, to, to notice when, you're, um, when, when that tendency kind of uh, overtakes you or arises out of that field of habit that we've established. And just remember that it's possible to slow down, to settle back, and to establish some patience in the way that you work with um, with whatever is arising in the field of your experience. So um, I think that's probably plenty for the, for the moment. Um, and so I'll, I'll turn you over to Sister who will um, talk a little bit further about what we can do to establish this monastery slash nunnery type um, uh, um, field that we are all contributing to. So thank you. I'm so thrilled to be uh, part of the work that you do, and I thank you deeply for your willingness to do it. Also, would like to echo a very warm welcome, and it's it's just wonderful to see so many people here, and also to see so many new people coming for the first time. The first retreat or the first time in a meditation experience is a is a it's like an open window or an open journey to a, a whole new exploration in inside. So it's lovely. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about meditation, the kind of principles of meditation, and talk about the refuges and the precepts as a way of, of, of developing and holding a container that supports. And also just to continue on the theme of creating a field. So many of us have an, have an idea that, and it's certainly true, that the efforts that we make are really important. But also what's helpful is to remember that part of what we're doing is to create an environment and then learning how to relax into that. That it isn't only just a question of determination and will, but it's a question of sensitivity and finesse and relaxation. And so as we continue with this uh, environment of having this time together, what we do is we, we we support uh, a field 
that is sensitized, that is uh, conducive, that is allowing each of us to rest and relax in our own bodies and hearts and minds in a fuller way that allows us to meet whatever arises in the present moment. With the whole practice of meditation, you know, for me, essentially there's two kind of areas that meditation includes. One area of meditation is learning how to slow down and to allow the attention to settle on an object and working with the conditions that we're experiencing so that we have more a sense of balance. So, you know, when we're stressed, we need to learn how to relax. And when we are really low in energy, we need to learn how to energize. When there's strong emotions, we need how to find some perspective with them so that they can soften or we can have more balance with them. We need to learn how our body and breath work and relate to each other. And we need to get a feeling for how the choices that we make not only impact ourselves, but impact the people around us, the environment around us. And, you know, certainly for many of us, learning how to live with more balance in our lives is a lifetime work. You know, learning how just to relax, learning how to allow attention to settle with what is arising. These are not weekend projects. <coughs> and yet, the interesting thing is, is, is that even if we become very adept at doing that, of learning how to develop skill and balance with the conditions that arise, learning how to let our attention settle with what is present, learning how to recognize what is arising and bringing skillful antidotes, we are still going to find ourselves in situations where life is out of control. And we can experience that when you know, we get very sick or somebody that we love gets very sick. We can experience that in our society now that's going through massive transformation and change and institutions are destabilizing faster than they are finding stability. And, and no matter how adept we are at bringing attention to the present moment, there still is a sense of it's out of control. And if on some level we think that meditation is about being in control, you know, about getting it sorted and being in control and being able to have the right answer for the thing that's happening so that it will be in balance. I can assure you with 100% confidence that there's going to be a time where you're up a creek without a paddle. And usually what happens when we get there is we feel, well, either meditation is not useful or I can't do it. You know, we, we usually come to those, one of those two conclusions. But I would suggest that the problem is neither with the meditation nor with our own capacity, but our view of what meditation is, is too limited. Because if we think that, limit, that meditation is fundamentally about having things be in control, then our understanding about meditation is too narrow. So part of our explorations here certainly will be about learning how to work with the breath and bring attention to the body and working with the emotions that are rising so that there is more sense of ease and well-being and balance and more skill, you know, so that there is more sense of peacefulness in what we're experiencing. But also, hopefully, part of what we also experience or learn or begin to touch into is an ability to change our reference point rather than trying to change the objects of what we're experiencing into ones that are more peaceful and more balanced, to learning how to rest attention in awareness itself that is knowing what is arising. 
And as we are able to get a feeling for that, a glimpse of that, and a sense of what that is, of learning how to rest attention in awareness itself, then what can happen is a shift in the way we are relating to what is arising. Because inevitably what happens when we have a sense of wanting meditation to be some kind of control is there a subtle identification with what it is that we're experiencing. And it's quite natural. We like what we like. We want to collect more of that. And we don't like what we don't like, and we want to get rid of more of that. And faster, the better. Thank you very much. But when we shift our attention to being able to rest in knowing what is arising, then what happens is, is that there can be a whole new relationship with what is happening. So sometimes things are happening and we don't have a magic wand or a skillful antidote or a remedy that brings it into balance. And what is needed is the capacity to allow what is with an embracing awareness, with a kindness that is welcoming, that makes space for what is and allows it just to be there. And so we can move between the interplay of developing skillful means and bringing balance and learning how to allow attention to rest in awareness itself and being with things just exactly as they are without asking them to be different or otherwise. Pleasant comes. Desire can come. Pleasant goes. Desire can be seen and it also goes. As pleasant comes, and it can be known. And the aversion or the tightness or the resistance to it can also be opened up to and received as something that we can begin to feel in our own minds, in our own bodies, in our own hearts, learning to soften around what is learning to allow attention to be the field that we rest in. And as we are learning to rest in the field of attention, we can also see that one of the essential qualities of that is a warmth, a welcome, a sense of everything is okay to be arising and to be known. There's nothing that is not possible to open to. So the quality of kindness or an embracing awareness which is able to receive not only is something that we learn to relax into, but becomes part of the field that we create and generate. We support each other in our own practice, in our own showing up, in our own willingness to learn how to soften through resistance and find more space around our wanting things to be a particular way. And this field then can help carry us in the work that we're doing. So there's as much an interest in finesse and sensitivity, in clarity, than there is on pointed or holding attention to be in a particular area. It's my robe. So one of the fields or one of the ways that we can create a container or to help support this container is by affirming the three refuges and the precepts. And for people who are new to this and for people who are quite old hands at this, you know, one of the reasons why this can help is because from the very beginning we tie ourselves or we open ourselves up to something which is vastly bigger than the immediacy of our own personal story 
and our own personal uh, sense of our own capacity. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, so here's an image of a Buddha, and the image of a Buddha represents a human being that lived 2,500 and something years ago and represents not only the life that he lived, but also this quality of awakenedness. Buddha means awakened one. And so when we take refuge in the Buddha, we're taking refuge in that quality which is awake. And it's not something that exists in the future and is not something that happened in the past. It's something that is immediate, that we can realize in the present moment. When we take refuge in the Dhamma, not only are we aligning ourselves with the legacy of the teachings and all of the vast resources of skillful means and clarity about the relationship between the mind and the body and the heart and how all of these things are connected, but what we're taking refuge in is the truth of the way things are. And the truth of the way things are is something which is not limited to Buddhist monasteries or to meditation centers. It's the willingness to inquire at any moment what's happening right now and how am I relating to that. And when we take refuge in the Sangha, we are aligning ourselves with a stream of an aspiration to awaken which is vast. This capacity to envision that there is actually something beyond suffering, that there is a possibility that we can open up to and touch in our lives and in the present moment, which allows us a entrance into non-suffering and what that looks like and what that feels like as a body experience, what that feels like as a heart experience, and how we can know that or relate to that or rest in that with our attention and our minds. So the three refuges take us and immediately connect us to a sphere that is vast and gives us support for the work of bringing that into the present moment of what actually is arising in our own personal experiences. And sometimes it's lovely and sometimes it can be challenging. The precepts creates a container that makes it clear, you know, we're basically all on the same page. So the first precept is to refrain from killing any living being. And hopefully, you know, killing people is not going to be an issue. I mean, we might think we'd like to, but hopefully, you know, that actually is not going to be too challenging. Yeah. But when we take that as like an internal reflection, what that actually is talking about is refraining from harm on any level. And this is one of the most powerful reflections that I think any of us can begin to let our lives come into congruence with. There is a phenomenal level of ways that we harm ourselves in the way we think about ourselves, the way we believe things about ourselves, the way we judge and criticize and slander ourselves. And when we take a sincere interest in non-harming, we are willing to say, I am prepared to wake up to these patterns and not follow them anymore. Non-harming is something that I see is a priority in my life. And I would say that if the only thing that happens on this weekend, if the only thing that happens on this weekend is that people wake up and feel a sense of vigilance for non-harming towards oneself. That creates a basis where a huge amount of benefit and goodness can come. It is non-trivial. 
The second precept has to do with refrain from taking what's not given. So it's not on to raid the refrigerators, even if you're hungry. <laughs> you know, there's things that are here that belong to the center, and, and there's things that belong to each other. And so it's like if somebody leaves something, it's theirs. They'll figure it out, or we can take it to the front office or things like that. So we have a sense that your stuff is yours and that you don't need to worry about it. You know, people are not going to be looking after each other's things to take them. Yeah. But on an internal reflection, what this has to do with, on a deeper level, has to do with the sense of wanting what's not there. And how often do we come to a meditation or to a sitting and hope? Hope that I feel that I feel energy or I feel different feelings. Hope that I have this experience or that experience and that I don't have what I'm having. And so this precept, if we take it as an internal reflection, is a way of mirroring this kind of looking for what is not present. The third precept has to do with our relationship with our sexuality. And celibacy, or the refraining from sexual activity, rather than it being a kind of disconnect or some kind of a, of a sense that, that this is not a good thing, it's the opposite. It's a safe container in which this whole arena can be fully and totally embraced. We can relax into what it is to have a human body, and for each of us, our human bodies contains our sexuality, and understand what that is and how it works, and feel or begin to negotiate the territory of how to live with this very powerful energy in a way that is congruent with our values and with our longing for harmlessness and respect and kindness. So this boundary around sexual activity is permission to become fully conscious and fully embodied around this energy and understand what it is and how it operates in our lives so that it is something that is part of our practice in a way which is supportive. The fourth precept has to do with refraining from speaking in a way which is harmful. And there's kind of support for not engaging and reading and turning off cell phones and not dipping into the laptops and doing things like that as a way of giving more support for the internal process to be more alive and visible. But what we also need to look at, especially on a silent retreat, is the kind of thoughts that we're believing. So on an, in a kind of relational world, the way that the precept around speech is, is considered is around speech which is untrue, which is harsh, which is divisive, or which is useless. They call it useless prattle. I like that. It's accurate, accurate description. And what we need to wake up to is the kind of thoughts that we are believing and whether they are skillful or not. How much of the stuff that goes on in our heads that we are listening to is just useless? How much of it is harsh? How much of it is divisive? So when we take this precept as an internal reflection, it gives us some perspective on how to work with this stuff as it's arising. The fifth precept has to do with refraining from drugs and drink, not medication, but stuff that clouds the mind and causes confusion. And again, unless you've got a private stash, you know, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of access here at IMS, you know? Not so straightforward. But for me, this has been a really powerful reflection on, I, I spent decades, literally decades, as a bliss junkie you know, where I would try and squeeze bliss out of the life situation because what was happening ordinarily was to me intolerable. I just could not cope with it just being ordinary. So for me, I've had to work at looking at the tendency to extract bliss out of circumstances as an avoidance of what was. 
The sixth precept has to do with refraining from eating after midday. And this is not designed to torture people in spite of appearances, you know. What this is meant to do is to create a simple opportunity where eating happens at one part of the day and then it's finished and then the rest of the day is, is devoted towards contemplation. And obviously when there's medical needs or issues like that, then there's ways and provisions to, to support. But the whole principle around this is to have a, a relationship with food that ends up being more about our physical need rather than satisfying other things. And again, you know, as an internal reflection, we can see that our relationship with food actually has a lot, that has a lot more to do than just what our basic energetic needs are. And that's very curious to wake up to all of that. It's a little bit daunting, but it's sometimes, it's just fascinating to watch what happens around a meal, you know, the kind of things. And the seventh precept has to do with refraining from entertainments, adornments, and beautification. And that, you know, again, has to do, it's not so much that there's anything immoral about any of that, but that this is an opportunity just to focus attention on practice in a way where our attention goes inward. And so if it feels comfortable to take off jewelry, you're certainly invited to do so. And... You know, the clothes can just be enough to cover the body, keep the bugs off of our skin. I remember once being on a retreat, and somebody, it was like Dhamma fashion show, and they changed their outfits like eight times a day, and they had designer meditator, you know, the coolest designer meditator look, and I was just uh, fascinated. So it's like, well, changing one's clothes, getting clothes dressed once in the day, that's adequate. <laughs> and then it's finished. It's like, this is not where our attention is going. It's, it's going someplace else. And then the eighth precept has to do with not sleeping on higher luxurious sleeping places. And there aren't any higher luxurious sleeping places here. So you don't need to worry about that. But what it really has to do with is our relationship with sleep. And you see, you know, for many, sleep is the drug of preference. You know, it's like, you know, I'm out of here. You know, just let me zonk out. I've, you know, just forget it. And so then what is needed is just to see, well, is that actually something which is coming out of wisdom and compassion, or is it coming out of an avoidance strategy? So, you know, if you've been sick or you've been intensely pressurized, it's natural that you're going to be sleepy and tired. And that requires a completely different response than if sleep is just an avoidance because one's finding it difficult or uncomfortable to be present with what's arising. So it isn't so much that the precepts create an external judge, but create a context for wisdom and compassion to arise, where we ourselves are the ones who need to discern what actually is appropriate in this situation. Gina and I can't do that for you. We can't tell you. But what we can do is help to support you so that you can find that right relationship yourself. Are there there any questions about any of that? Well, what I'd like to suggest is is that we formally take the refuges and the precepts, and then I'd like to, um, uh, and then we can close with a little bit of uh, meditation. Okay? Yes? Um, Would it be wrong in terms of the precepts if one takes notes sometimes during the retreats? Um, in, during during talk during talks, it's it's much better not to take notes, mm-hmm. because when you take notes, your attention is focused on writing more than focused on listening. Yeah, but if there's notes or things that you want to jot down for yourself about what's arising for you, you know you're you're welcome to do that. The encouragement is not to let attention get um, pulled into distracting things 
and, and also just because this is such a precious opportunity to learn how to come into relationship with reading our internal world and what that feels like. Yeah? Uh, did you find the refuges and the precepts? Okay. Does everyone have a chanting book? That's the three refuges and the five precepts. Are we doing the five precepts or the eight precepts? Oh. Five. Okay. Oh. So. So there, there may be people here who are interested in taking the eight precepts, and, and then there are other people here who are just taking the five precepts. So for the people who are interested in just taking the five precepts, stop at five. And for the people who are interested in taking the eight, we can do the eight precepts. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. Clear enough? 61. So we're on page 61. Oh, we have to do the refuges. The refuges and precepts. So, refuges is fifty-nine. So, page fifty-nine. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. I just wanted to answer that question about the word refuge. Yes. Because, um, it seems like uh, in my mind when I hear that word, I think of an escape from something, and I'm going to go hide in the like pink cave. And I, I'm sure that's not the meaning, but I just wondered: is there another word you use sometimes, like, or that's not so negative about refuge? Well, if what, what is a word for you that's not so negative? Because the question was, is there another word for refuge? Because there is some sense of a, a hiding in a cave that has, doesn't have a, a, a kind of uh, connotations that are so conducive. So what would be, how about sanctuary? This one's a, I guess I was curious, because I, I guess not that the word matters ultimately, although the whole idea, every time I see that word, it's, does like this, well, that's not a or haven. desirable thing. Okay. So in any of these situations, what's in, this is, these are an invitation, <coughs> you know? And what's needed is to connect with the qualities and the principles behind it more so than the literal words themselves. That's really important. And so, you know, that quality, like when we were chanting the refuges, <coughs> is to have that sense of, you know, what is that quality of awakenedness? And what's the quality of truth? What's the, what's the aspiration to move out of suffering? Those are the qualities that we need to touch. And the refuge that actually doing them ceremoniously, sometimes it's really helpful as a group to do things ceremoniously. You know, it helps strengthen things. Other people feel a very resistance. And so it's not a, it's not a forced march to Nibbana, you know? <laughs> This is, an, this is an invitation that people can share in a way which is then create something which is supportive. But each of us needs to find our own way with it. What it what, where do we relax and where do we tighten? And in those tight places, see, well, what is that? And can I open to that or is it actually do I need to find another way? All right? Yes, thank you. I, 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 I wanted just to see the essence of it, not to feel that word again. Okay. So if you'd like to um, request, does anybody know how to do the request in Polly? Zero. Okay. How about English? <laughs> Would you be up for together saying the English? We, I'm venerable. not a sir, I'm a, I'm a venerable, venerable sister. <laughs> we, venerable sister, request the three refuges and the, the eight precepts. Are you up for that? Okay. Go ahead. We, venerable sister, request the three refuges and the eight precepts. For the second time, we, venerable sister, request the three refuges and the eight precepts. For the third time, we, venerable sister, request the three refuges and the eight precepts. So I'm going to say in the Pali language three times, and then you repeat after me, okay? And again, 
this is paying homage to that quality of awakenedness. That's what we're doing. Namo tasa bhagavatu arahatu sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavatu arahatu sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavatu arahatu sama sambuddhasa. Now your turn. Namo tasa bhagavatu arahatu sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. And then I say the refuges and you repeat each line after me. Buddhang sarananga chami. Buddhang sarananga chami. Dhammang sarananga chami. Dhammang sarananga chami. Sangang sarananga chami. Sangang sarananga chami. And it am pibuddhang sarananga Dutiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Okay, so now we're going to do the precepts. I'm going to break them up into bits so that it'll be easier for you to follow in Pali. And then just read the English afterwards. Panati pata veramani. Panati pata veramani. Sikapadang samadhyami. Sikapadang samadhyami. In the English? Adina dana veramani. Adina dana veramani. Sikapadang samadhyami. Sikapadang samadhyami. Abrahmacharya veramani. Sikapadang samadhyami. Sikapadang samadhyami. Musawada Veramani Musawada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Sikapadang Samadhyami Suramiraya Suramiraya Majapamadatana Majapamadatana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Vikala bhojana veramani. Vikala bhojana veramani. Sikapadang samadhyami. Sikapadang samadhyami. Nachagita vadita. Nachagita vadita. Visukadasana. Visukadakana. Malaganda. Malaganda. Vilepana dharana. Vilepana dharana. Mandana vibhusanatana. 
Mandana vibhu sanatana Vera manisika badang samadhyami Vera manisika padang samadhyami Ucha sayana mahasayana Ucha sayana mahasayana Vera manisika badang samadhyami Vera manisika padang samadhyami So what I'd like to suggest now we do is a little bit of meditation. And what I'd like to invite is everybody to stand up. So you all came thinking you're going to come sitting. So surprise. One of the things that we tend to get a little bit fixated on is is that meditation is about sitting. Meditation is about bringing awareness into the present moment. Standing, walking, lying down, these are all part of our practice. So if you can find a piece of floor rather than a zabuton, it's a little bit less squishy, you've got a little bit more ground, yeah? And let your toes spread out and let your feet come a little bit parallel and make sure your ankles are relaxed and your knees are unlocked and then the sacrum is flat so if we were a fox with a nice bushy tail we tuck it between our legs it makes the sacrum flat the sacrum flat then what happens is the belly softens and then the chest has an opportunity to open and the neck elongates. The top of the head is the highest point, and the arms are gently uh, by the side with the fingers gently curled. This is standing. And standing like sitting is a posture which can be cultivated. And it's a useful posture when either we're too tired or too um, drowsy to stay connected with sitting. It's a posture when it's useful if our legs or our hips or our back are giving us more pain than we have the capacity to soften around. It's helpful to help us get grounded, stay connected, and feel our whole body coming into presence, coming into stillness, relaxing and softening, and yet energized and awake. Sometimes it's just helpful to imagine our whole body becoming heavy. helps us to relax and let go of tensions. So using the imagination, just imagining that our feet become heavy like lead, and this wave of heaviness moves through our body from our feet up our ankles, our shins and our calves, and as it moves through the body, we can feel that part of the body becoming really heavy and very quiet, very still. The knees become like lead. The legs, heavy, become like lead. The hips and the whole pelvis area becomes heavy like lead, just pulling into the ground.
lower abdomen and on the small of the back become heavy. The middle abdomen and the middle part of the back become heavy. The sternum area and the corresponding area in that part of the back become heavy like lead, dense and very quiet, pulling. very little sensation. The heart area and that area of the back heavy. And the collarbones and the shoulders heavy. So heavy. Just pulling heavy. The fingertips the palms of the hands and the back of the hands just become heavy like lead. And the wrists and the forearms. And the upper arms and the shoulders so that the whole trunk of the body from the feet all the way up to the collarbones just feels so thick, heavy, and pulling, pulling into the earth. Now imagine this heaviness moves up through the neck. And touches the jaw. And the jaw is so heavy it opens a little bit is too heavy to hold it closed. The lips and the tongue, everything becomes heavy. The cheekbones and the eyes and behind the eyes. Just like this wave, and this wave becomes heavy and still and quiet. Forehead and the top of the head. And the base of the skull and the back of the head and the ears the top of the head. This whole body just feels heavy and dense, but very quiet. You can just pull, feel the weight pulling. Dropping all of the thoughts and the ideas, all of the details of the journey, conversations that have happened and that need to happen, just quiet and still and present, pulling into the earth. And now we can bring our awareness and conjoin it with our breath and let it be like a life force. Bringing this awareness and breath to the feet and letting the life force of breath and awareness wake up the feet. Lighten the feet, invigorate the feet. And moving up the feet to the ankles, the shins and the calves and the knees, this wave of awareness suffused with the breath, enlivening, lightening, invigorating, moving up the legs to the hips and to the pelvis 
and to the lower abdomen and the small of the back. the middle part of the abdomen and the middle part of the back. Awareness and breath together. And the chest and the upper part of the back. And the fingertips and the hands and the wrists and the arms and the elbows and the shoulders. So now the whole trunk of the body from the bottom of the feet up all the way to the shoulders is enlivened with awareness and breath, sensations and pressure and movement is received in awareness, a welcoming and kind, embracing awareness, and moving attention through the neck with the breath, allowing the neck to become enlivened and lightened. the jaw, the tongue, the lips, cheeks, eyes, behind the eyes, the forehead, the top of the head, and the back of the head, the base of the skull and the ears, all the way up to the top of the head, so that the whole body is now suffused with awareness and breath. And just for a moment more, just receiving the whole body in awareness, the sensations, the movement, the pressure, the heat, the cold. This is what it is like having a body standing here. This is what is happening right now. This is life expressing itself in the present moment through standing. So just one thing that we forgot to mention uh, before, which is that there is an altar that we have set up for this uh, retreat. And you can feel free, as a matter of fact, I encourage you to add to it. We already have a, uh, a standing Kuan Yin. So she's right with us right now as we stand. And um, some Af African violets. and some azaleas from the spring and a beautiful amethyst crystal and a leaf, a new leaf that sister, uh, that fell into sister's hands today. Uh, so, and we have a couple of little sayings that we got in our yogi tea. So um, we encourage you if you have pictures or names of people that you would like to, um, to place on this, on this community altar, um, and we can, we, we'll feel it's sanctified through the work that we do here together uh, tomorrow, 
tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday. Um, please feel free to make it your own, however you would like to express your belonging here. The altar is there for, for you to, um, to add to and to feel it's, it's yours. So do you want to do the weaving now, Sister? Sure, yeah. Yes, okay. I think that would be beautiful. Okay. That would be a lovely way for us to go. So what I'd like to do for closing is to, um, to, to leave in a way where, because oftentimes what happens when we come into silence is we feel that what we're doing is disconnecting from each other. And actually what we're doing is we're, we're, we're creating an environment where we can be in relationship with each other in a totally different way. So one of the ways that I thought we could start this retreat with is by leaving in a way where we are weaving with each other as a way of helping to create this field of benevolence, of kindness, of respect, and the aspiration to awaken. So may I ask you to put all of your belongings squarely on your cushion so that the floor is clear. And then Gina and I will lead, and then people follow after us. So when, you, when we pass by, join us. And we will weave together and just get a feeling of all of us are here together this time. All of us with our hearts and our bodies and minds, with our pain and our struggles and our aspirations and our hopes. And just allowing this to be part of, of creating a field of generosity, of kindness, of respect, of harmlessness, where we support each other in this time together.